Yo, welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. I'm back from vacation. Jeff Woody's back from vacation. It's mostly on track here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. What's up, Jeff? Nothing much, man. We had, I feel like, uh, that, that for me, that was a nice little two-week break. Yeah. From just, I mean, everyday life. And you just get a, I don't know, on your vacation, you were, it was all sports. Mine was all like hiking and food. But either way, like, it's not the real world. What was the highlight of your trip? Ooh. Uh, so we went to Switzerland and it was, I think there's not Amsterdam. No, not Amsterdam. Different. Very different. Uh, I mean, it's just one of those things like for anybody who's ever been out there or to like Austria or something like that, it's just the fact that you look around. I mean, every walk you do, every train ride you take, it's just like a, you know, it's like a fairy tale village. So everything is just the, the scenery is what the highlight just consistently. What was your highlight? Hmm. The, uh, going to PNC Park, probably. What made it special? I read your Monday musings on that. What made that park special specifically? I don't know. There's just, well, if one, there's just something about being at the ballpark, you know? So, like, that's just the initial piece of it. Like, that just makes it perfect to begin with. But, man, I don't know if you've ever seen the pictures. Like, they've got the background with the where the park sits right up against the river, the mm-hmm. Allegheny River in Pittsburgh. And then in the background is downtown Pittsburgh. So it's like you see all of the buildings and everything, and they've got the Roberto Clemente Bridge, where it's a pedestrian bridge that you can go across the river. It's right back behind. So like the background of the stadium is just perfect. And then we sat right behind home plate, and you're so you're looking out at this beautiful scenery, this like beautiful skyline, you know, with the river right there in the back. And the stadium is completely walkable. You can go all the way around it and see from everywhere. Uh, and then they've got a nice little area out in the outfield that you can kind of hang out in. It's pretty cool, man. I, I love just, especially baseball, because like the venues in baseball matter a right. lot. Like the sport football stadiums matter a ton too, but like you're, there's less time in football games and basketball games to like explore the space. So it's more about like what the game atmosphere is, is what's better about the football and baseball at basketball arenas versus baseball stadiums. It's like, What's the whole vibe experience? Because yeah. the pace of the game is a lot different that like, it's like a little village in mm-hmm. there, like just good ballparks. There's nothing like it. And the other thing is that every baseball stadium is different. You know, uh-huh. like every football stadium, every basketball arena, you know, hundred by hundred or hundred by 50 or whatever, like doesn't change. Yeah. You know, it, it is what it is. 94 feet, a basketball court is a basketball court, you know, but baseball stadiums, all the baseball fields can be different. You know, they can all have different dimensions and they can do different things with what they want to do around the building. It's pretty cool. I agree. I don't yeah, know. So that, so that was the highlight for sure. That, that was the highlight. Uh, I do need to tell you first before we dump, jump into before we're we, official, before we jump into we're uh, official Jared today's topics, we are official. We have a presenting sponsor. That's our friends at Kelderman Ma- manufacturing. Uh, I know Chris has told you guys about, uh, about them quite a bit. Uh, they can build your dream truck for you. Jeff, you've got a truck. Do I do you, have a truck. You want them to do a lift on it? I don't know if I need to do a lift, but I, I, I mean, the, when you get a nice vehicle and you can treat that vehicle exceptionally nice, if that's a thing that you're looking for, there is such a, a validation in getting your exact thing you want. Well, these guys are huge Cyclone fans, and I'm looking forward to meeting them. Uh, Jeff and Mark, Chris keeps telling me how good of a, how good of dudes they are. I'm excited to to get a chance to meet them and get a, a chance to build this partnership with them here on the podcast. And we'll tell you guys plenty more about them here uh, in the coming weeks, coming weeks, coming weeks, coming months, months, years, even maybe. Who knows? Coming decades. We're doing this show when we're 65. 
And we're still telling you about Kelderman Manufacturing and how you can get a lift on your truck. Same sponsors. Same exact sponsors for for the next 50 years. Loyalty, Jared. That's what you guys have to look forward to. Uh, We do have a couple of big stories to get to on today's podcast. Bob Huggins says that he's still the head coach at West Virginia. Uh, That remains to be in question. West Virginia certainly vehemently disagrees with that with that stance. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald is officially no longer the head coach at Northwestern. We I think everybody can agree on that one at this point. Uh, after some of the stories that came out over the weekend, we'll dive into both of those things. And then Big 12 football media days coming up this week down in Dallas. I'll be down there with Chris Williams for Cyclone Fanatic covering this thing. Uh, looking forward to hearing from the commissioner tomorrow, uh, Commissioner Brett Yormark, uh, and then hearing from the Iowa State contingent on Thursday. Do you want to start with Bob Huggins? Uh, well, I, I think, I mean, there's a there's at least a couple of, I mean, on Saturday, we got a fun event going on too. Oh yes, of course. Saturday coming up out in LeClaire. Uh, you're gonna be over there. Yep, I'll be there. I'm so looking. This is my favorite. I mean, of all the the CF stuff yeah. that we get to do, this is my favorite. Just because like Ryan Bertrand, like when we get over there, it's just like oh I mean, it's the red carpet for not just us, like as people the you know, the the speakers mm-hmm. and guests and whatever, but like for the people to just come to the event, it is absolutely just top notch. So I I would imagine it's sold out, but if it's not I mean, get a ticket. It's a fun day. Last I knew, there were tickets still available. Um, I'm pulling up the link for that right now. Uh, at Eventbrite slash... Oh, man, this is a long... I'm not going to read this URL. Go to the Cyclone Fanatic Twitter. Go to the Mississippi River Distilling Company Twitter. You'll find the the link right there where you can buy tickets. 20 bucks uh, for the totally Cyclone Fanatic uh, Cody Road Roadshow. Uh, you'll hear from Jeff Woody. You'll hear from some Iowa State players that are confer- confirmed to be in attendance. Brent Bloom will be there. Chris Williams will be there. I'm likely to be there. I'm playing in a basketball tournament on Saturday, so I might be getting there a little bit later, but I will be there. Uh, it should be a great day out uh, out there in the Claret uh, at D- Mississippi River Distilling Company. Yeah, that's a, that. like I said, that's a fun party. I'm very excited for that. So, yeah, get your tickets right now, uh, $20. Uh, you, like I said, you can find those on the Cyclone Fanatic social medias, and uh, we'll see you guys Saturday out in LeClaire. All right, now, Bob Huggins, you, you want to jump into this? You are uh, you're, you don't know the story. So when I was over, I mean, it, we're seven hours ahead. And so, and also you're in a place where it's like hiking, and I was with my wife and my in-law, my, my, my mother and father-in-law, and I, I mean, really good relationship dynamic. We all really like each other. And so you're hiking, you're coming back, you're having a glass of wine overlooking the whatever. And uh, so you're not really paying attention to much news. And so I missed most of this when I was gone. So I will be the role of like, I'm aware that some of it exists, but I don't know the details necessarily on everything going on. So I'm going to play the role in here, which is true of the person who doesn't totally know what's going on. Okay, so this started on Saturday. I think Friday or Saturday, this started where it had come out that there that Bob Huggins's lawyer had written a letter to West Virginia University claiming that he had not resigned as the head coach and that he still had an employment agreement in place uh, with the university to come back and be the head coach again, be reinstated. Uh, he wrote a letter to the university again yesterday or put out a statement yesterday uh, kind of detailing some of the situation. He said that he had gone to he's in a, a world class rehab facility right now going through treatment for uh alcoholism i i guess i assume uh but there it basically boils down to the fact that he claims he did not write the resignation statement or the letter letter of recommendation or of resignation 
that was sent to West Virginia University to begin with. So therefore, he has never resigned as the head coach at West Virginia. Obviously, West Virginia strongly came back against that and said, that's not how this works. You quit. You're out. You know, and uh, they've just been kind of going back and forth. Uh, but this came from Huggins' statement that was released um, that was released yesterday on Monday. Quote, I did not draft or review WVU's statements, statement. This false statement was made sent under my name, but no signature is included. I am employed by WVU pursuant to an employment agreement. I never su submitted the notice required under the employment agreement to voluntarily resign. Uh, basically, this is going to boil down to, and to me, it boils down to Bob Huggins wants his money. He That's said, it. He said, what, you're going to have to fire me if you want me to go away. Yep. Because what happens if you resign? You are voluntarily forfeiting that contract. You are quitting. There is no, uh, nothing comes of it other than said, I will, I'm not going to be at work on Tuesday. See ya. Versus if the technicality to get Bob Huggins out of there is a firing for, I would imagine there's carve outs and language. And that's, I, I would imagine an attorney talked to him and said, Hey, Bob, you got X million dollars on the table if they fire you and they can't make it for cause if you do X, Y, and Z, or it would be hard for them to fire you if you do X, Y, and Z. So you might as well just throw this thing out there and see if it sticks, because if you do end up getting it or even get a settlement or a portion of it, let's say it's an $8 million buyout. I don't know what the number is. Let's say it's an $8 million buyout. And they say, Hey, we won't be able to do this for $8 million because we have some sort of cause, but it's going to take us three years to go through it. So why don't you just, here's $2 million to get out of here. Well, that's $2 million more than what he had before. Mm -hmm. It's nothing to sneeze at. So I would imagine he doesn't have any expectation that he's actually going to coach again. This is just forcing the hand of West Virginia to fire him, which means he gets a buyout and or terms and or retirement and or there's more benefit negotiating the contract for a firing than it was for a resignation. Uh, can I keep it 100 for a second? Go for it. That's uh, that's fucked up for a guy that is uh, has made basically a million dollars or more for about 30 years uh, has made at least $4 million, I think for the last probably 10 and now is going to turn around and hold the university that he claims to love that he went to that he built up this basketball program, try and hold them hostage in this way to me messed up. I'm not going to disagree necessarily with that, but at the same time, th so this is from a legal perspective. I understand what he's trying to do, but at the same time, it's from it an ethical problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I, that is uh, a real interesting phenomenon of people is there are a lot of times in a lot of situations. And, and there's two kind of applications of this of perfectly rational individual behavior when zoomed out makes substantially less sense and is substantially, sometimes diametrically opposed to the purpose of it. For example, so purpose number one is individual decisions that are perfectly rational being bad for the group uh, as a whole. So Iowa State's playing Kansas on a Tuesday night at 7 p.m., and the game is a nail-biter. Iowa State goes on to win, but everybody stayed in their seats until the very, very last bit, and they're trying to get out of Hilton Coliseum. Perfectly rational individual behavior means I'm not going to let anybody in because it is faster for me. It, it is logically faster for me to continue out of the parking lot and not let somebody in from this, from the, another segment of the parking lot. If I just drive, mm -hmm. if every single human never lets anyone else in, then nobody gets in the parking lot. We're all stuck here longer. 
So the rational individual behavior of just driving is actually counterproductive to the group, but it's under, it's logically understandable when looked at from just that one little spot. Now, the other side of it is logical individual decisions that in the moment seem normal, which are counter to your actual, your individual overall health. And for this, for an easy example on this one is it's 8.30 PM. You're actually full. Like you had dinner, you're actually full, but you go, yeah, there's cake over there. Mm-hmm. You don't want it. You don't, you're full. It's, you're not really going to enjoy it too far beyond, but cake's good. I'll have some cake, but that's actually, uh, you now have eaten the cake at a point when you're full. So even if we're talking about the value of enjoying the cake, it's probably better when you're a little bit hungrier so you can savor it more. So that's out of the way. It's generally not healthy for you. So you're less apt to do it before or later. It pushes your, you're going to get a sugar rush. So you're not going to sleep as well. So perfectly rational individual decision. I want to eat cake, justifiable eat cake. But ultimately that decision is bad for you in the long run. So that's one of like little mini quirks of people. I can understand Bob in this moment, looking at it and saying, I can get myself a settlement. I can get myself money out of this, and which in this moment makes sense. But zoomed out, it's bad for everybody around. It is a perfectly logical individual decision, but that type, that decision is bad for him because now, I mean, his legacy was bad, mm-hmm. but now it's worse. Where it went from being, this guy might have a problem and he was fired from a, an alcohol-related situation. He seems like he's got himself back on track. I mean, hell, Rick Patino managed to find his way back and almost into good graces of people with at Iona. So you have the capacity to kind of come back out of this, but now you seem petty. And if you're Iona, now granted, an, an Iona or Iona-like school, if you're in that situation, you might still take a shot because it's Bob Huggins, but you're going to be still much less likely to actually open the the door to someone like that, because if they're going to be vindictive and try and come back and extort the university for money, you're less likely to get a job on your redemption tour. So for you individually, it may cost you more money over time because you won't be able to get, you'll be less likely to be able to get a job in the future than if you just let it die. And so like, it is one of those, is one of those examples that like a perfect, perfectly rational individual decision is bad for the individual and the entire group. And it it's just, you can see it from the, everyone can see it from the outside, but the person in there can't. And I would like to, I, I would have to imagine that lawyers got involved and that was the biggest issue here. Is It just is, it, this just screams lawyer. And I know? would imagine the guy who has the most, who is doing most of the work for Huggins is probably going to get a portion of the settlement. Yeah. And that's what's, what to me is, is somewhat problematic. And then two, you know, the reality is that if he had had to be fired because they had already amended the employment agreement from the situation that happened when he was on the radio, I mean, I find it hard to believe he wouldn't have been fired with costs. Yeah, which theoretically, I would again, I'm not an attorney. I haven't yeah. looked at his contract. I would guess that that has been amended, and if he is fired with cause, then it's more or less the same as, bud, get out of here, you're gone. Yeah. No questions asked, you're turning your key card, that's it. Yeah. To which you wouldn't get a settlement, you know? Right. So, so that's where it's like, I feel like he's now kind of backed himself into this corner that you just have to hope, you know, that West Virginia plays ball for you, plays ball with you, I guess. And I mean, maybe, maybe there is like a 30% chance of success, but you know, if there's a 30, why do people buy lottery tickets? Right. Cause there's a infinitesimally small chance 
that you actually get this big reward. So the odds are way better than a lottery ticket that this might actually work. And you can find some contract language with some good lawyers to say, yeah, you're actually technically not resigned because there was no signature on this thing and this document needed to be doing whatever. Bob Huggins would never use the word pursuant. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> so you know that an attorney drafted that letter. And so the language that was used there is just probably giving the best percentage chance of getting this thing to work, even though they probably don't, they might not think that it's going to work in the first place, but what the hell? Throw it out there. See what happens. I'm already fired. Uh, one of my favorite things is that he claims the whatever resignation statement did come or was sent came from his wife's email account. So Bob Huggins doesn't ha apparently doesn't have his own email. He has to use his own his wife's email in order to send out his resignation. And that's like part of the contention here now. He, basically, I guess he's claiming he didn't write it, which I think is odd. But you know. again, legally, like that's all we're, we're not talking about. This is not logic. This is legal. So logically, did he write it? Probably. Can you prove that he wrote it if there's no signature and it came from his wife's email? No, you can like logically deduce that. And yeah. I would imagine that's, you know, you put it to the court and see if the court decides. And if you can say, no, my wife did it and not perjure yourself then yeah, you can get yourself a settlement. So it, it is 100% a legal situation. I imagine a scenario where it's like, where she's like, I've drafted a statement for you. I'm going to send it. <laughs> I'm gonna. Robert, Robert, I'm sending this. I don't care what you think. You're done. You're done. It's over. Linda, just send the letter, damn it. Her name was June. June? That's exactly, Bob and June. Oh, uh. That's sweet. That's sweet. June, throwing your wife under the bus or using her as a pawn in your legal scheme to get millions of dollars from the university you got fired by for alcoholism. A tale as old as time. Oh, man. What a what a situation. Just imagine a world where Bob Huggins had just, instead of sending all these letters, he just like showed back up. <laughs> he started coaching. He's he, like, I resigned? He, he brought his stool in. June! I thought you said you weren't going to send it. Did you send it? Can someone hand me my glasses? Oh, man. All right. Before we switch topics uh, and talk about Pat Fitzgerald, you've got something to tell us about here first. Well, we have a uh, fun little event also going for ourselves. You ever heard of a, a thing called Ragbri? I have. Ragbri. It's a lot of people riding bikes for a long ways. Well, guess what, people on Ragbri? The route that goes through Ankeny is it comes in on Irvindale. So in Ankeny, that's kind of the northwestern part. Comes in on Irvindale, then it turns on 18th. You go east on 18th, then you turn south on State Street. It's the first entry into Ankeny. Our business is located at the corner of State and 18th. We are right there. So we're actually going to be having an event. And so we're going to have, we've already got three food trucks lined up. We're going to have hopefully a couple more. Uh, we're going to have uh, beverages mm -hmm. that are available that you can get. We're going to have air conditioning showers for people that are on Ragbri. There's going to be live music. That's going to be played hope live music, whether that's going to be a DJ or a, an actual event still kind of determined because availability is a little bit tricky, but there's going to be music there. Um, food, uh, gear, apparel, stickers, all kinds of stuff that we're going to have. So that is going to be Wednesday, the 26th, right when you go through, uh, like I said, when it comes through Ankeny on the Ames to Des Moines route and the, we will collective is going to be there with the, Iowa State with our own beer from Westo. They're going to be there. And then we're going to be able to have, uh, I think, a few athletes are going to be coming down. Not sure. Can't, I don't want to speak totally out of place, but I think there's going to be some athletes at that one too. So 
We're going to have a big event on Wednesday, the 26th at uh, the building says Ankeny Sports Performance. Uh, Goldfinch Athletics is the overall business, but Anke at Ankeny Sports Performance, you'll see plenty of signs. You'll see music. You'll see food trucks. That'll be, if you are riding Ragbri, stop on in. We'd love to have you. And we have showers and air conditioning. Have you ever done Ragbri? I haven't, but I would, it actually sounds legitimately really fun. I never understood how those people stay up on their bikes when all they do is drink beer. I think the beer drinking, the heavy part of the beer drinking is once you're already there. Like one at like you save it for when you're most of the way there. Yeah. So then if you're just you're more hungover riding than drunk riding. But some I think uh some imbibe some. But I also think that's uh those that imbibe a bit much is where the uh the bus drivers come in handy. Do you have any concern of anybody pooping in your yard? I know that that's been a concern with, with Ragbri previously. Uh, considering it's on an extremely public road that will likely be policed fairly heavily, I would say no. <laughs> well, we got all the drunk bikers. I don't know. You never know. We have bathrooms inside, guys. Just use the ones inside. We're going to clean them afterwards anyway. Just please do your best to keep it in the bowl. I guarantee you didn't anticipate me asking you that question. If, was, if someone's going to shit in the grass? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there were, there were weirder questions that have been asked. I just think that it's a legitimate possibility. These people have been riding their bikes for a long time, you know? Like, well, hey, and then we give them a bunch of food and we get them some relaxing and you just, you never know what relaxes when you sit down. Yeah. And you probably rode your bike like 50 miles or something crazy that day. Or well, it's like, only aims to Ankeny. It's only like 15. I've made that, that ride before with Rob Gray one time. It was the worst experience of my life. Was that just because Rob was around? No, it wasn't. It was because it was like you hate Rob Gray, fifty mile an hour winds. No, I love Rob Gray. That's my that's my dog. Uh, no, it was like fifty mile an hour winds at our face the entire way. Cool. It was horrible. Cool. It was horrible. Was were you on a Huffy? Uh, I was not on a bike that was meant to be rode for twenty five miles or whatever it is. I can tell you that much right now. It was a Huffy. Wind. I was hurting. I was hurting by the end of that deal. Uh, all right, let's talk about Pat Fitzgerald. Relieved of his duties as the head coach at Northwestern after allegations of hazing came out over the weekend. He'd been suspended on Friday uh, for two weeks without pay. Conveniently, not during the season, not during a time when anybody happens to be working uh, really too heavily in the college football space. Um, but right now, uh, there's been a lot of allegations that have come out, some pretty disgusting allegations uh, that have come out. But this has been just an all-time botched job on the part of Northwestern. You try to do your 5 p.m. news dump on a Friday thinking that you're going to be able to, you know, everybody's just going to forget about it over the weekend. A lot of people are on vacation, things like that. Well, people did not forget. Uh, that is without certainty. And, and now there's a significant amount of pressure for them to release the report that they put out uh, or that they had um, put together, had put together uh, by a law firm that had concluded basically that there was enough evidence to support that the hazing was happening, but there was not enough evidence to prove that the coaches know, regardless, the allegations came out publicly uh, from one side of the, of the story, basically from the, the complainant who made the initial complaint. Uh, and then now one of the longest tenured coaches in college football uh, is, is unemployed. And I mean, an, an alumnus. And of, an alumni, yeah, I mean, he, is, he was Northwestern football. He was Fred Hoiberg. Yeah. Like Fred Hoiberg at Iowa State before Fred Hoiberg decided to bounce. And even still, I mean, Fred, he, it's, it's the rev, the reverence that's there. Well, and there's two things that came to mind when after upon hearing and reading the story, which if you haven't read about it, I mean, it is, it is pretty gross. Yeah, it's in, pretty messed up. In what was being done. So, I mean, 
depending on your tolerance for gross stuff and kind of a, not a kind of offensive, very offensive things. Um, you don't, you can read about it. You cannot read about it. Two things that generally stuck out about this. The first is the power of journalism still exists. Mm-hmm. And the, the, so the university puts together this report and they determine again, because it is Pat Fitzgerald is Northwestern. He is Northwestern football. They're trying to say, let's see if we can salvage this, just getting, you know, maybe whether or not he knew about what was going on, whether or not he had influence, you know, whatever was going on. They figured they can do some type of punishment uh, that's good enough-ish good enough. And then people aren't going to look into it because no one's going to research too heavily into it. And then the student newspaper for Northwestern was the one that did the most in-depth reporting. And that's the story that most people wrote. And it's done a very well done, very well researched, very well sourced, very well described article. And people read that article and everyone went, I mean, this is be our second F-bomb. What the fuck? Yeah. That was basically everyone's response to that article. And when that happened, the university was backed into a corner because the truth was out there, or at least the version of the truth that's set by the complainant, which again, legally, we're, this is now our second talk on legal stuff, is the truth is probably somewhere around that. It might not be exactly what was said, but the truth is somewhere around that. So they tried to do that, but journalism the actual story, getting people out there, then Northwestern went, uh-oh. People know what was actually there, and ne- and they realize the punishment doesn't meet the crime if the crime is what that story says, so now the court of public opinion has changed. Mm-hmm. Now we have to do something more drastic. No facts have changed between Friday and Monday. And Nothing. That's, and that's why I say the best thing, the best plan of action for them from the beginning, rather than releasing like an executive summary or whatever it is that they released to the report, release the report. This is a matter of perspective. You know, there are going to be people who sit there and say that some of the things that were happening were not that big of a deal, you know, but there's going to be people who obviously the people who have now whistleblown essentially uh, and have have brought these things to light have their perspective. You know, the best way that we could get everybody's perspective and boil it down into one nice little document, we could interview 50 people. 50 people that potentially were involved in this situation, we could file or compile a report and then we could publish the report and then everybody's perspectives would be included. Or we could do an executive summary and say in the executive summary, this is a matter of perspective, but we're not going to give you any of the perspectives at hand. That is a losing PR. Yeah. And that was then done. The perspective, the story, the narrative that was out there then was just what was set by the complainant. Yeah. And that's what everyone understands. Now, again, now hypothetically in a world, let's say that that was just a, it's not, but again, we're playing the pretend world, Twitter warriors, settle down. Let's say that that was one or two players who were kicked down the depth chart. They were, you know, talked mean to by their teammates and they just wanted to just unleash hell. Yeah, stick it to somebody. Stick it to somebody. And they exaggerate, they blew up, they exaggerated the way things actually went. If that's the case and there's no other side, then that is the side that someone sees. Now, in the other chance, which I think is, again, closer to reality, is when that has most of the truth exists in that story, You have there's no other way that you can now spin that story once that story's out there. Mm-hmm. But then the second thing that comes to mind, so one, the first is the power of journalism still existing. The second thing is that um, bad stuff and things that you go, 
what a horrible thing to have happen. To me, it feels like those things very rarely ever just happen. They happen in small steps over long time. So like, I would imagine over the course of 17 years that he was there, uh, one group of ath- one one group of seniors does something in like 2012 and or whatever, and they do something that's silly. But you know, we were talking before we recorded. Like, there's a difference between like being a silly 18 to 22 year old and being hazing and uh, uh, offensive. There's a fine line where that there is a there's a gray line in there where that line stops. And so this, maybe the first generation started and they did something silly and, you know, they were doing whatever and someone's like, ah, knock it off. But then nobody actually stopped them. And then that group that had that done to them does something else, slightly more offensive. And then some, that group does, no, no one says anything. And then the next generation has that, says, does something a little bit more offensive and a little bit more offensive and then push the line and push the line and push the line and push the line. It's like, uh, I just got done listening to a podcast series on like how uh, Purdue Pharma started. It was the, the opioid epidemic and how that happened. And just thinking of like someone who's using heroin that started there. No one just goes out and like, you know what I'm going to do? Use heroin. I'm sure that was a really uplifting story. Yep. What well, is great. But that just the point of getting to who would ever do this. Yeah. It's small steps over time that gets you there. And the same thing, this really awful, disgusting stuff that was going on again, per the complainant, uh, yeah, alleged. It, if that is truly happening, it ne- it was probably not just like six dudes being like, you know what we should do? Put purge masks on and a dry hump, everybody. Mm-hmm. Like if that probably didn't just decide to happen. It's little small steps over time. And I think that's why um, Fitzgerald is probably in the, that's why he was fired because either you... At some point earlier in the line, someone probably said something to someone. And if your organizational structure is not such that that person feels empowered to stop that, then your organizational structure is flawed. Whether or not that's the head coach knowing or whether he doesn't know and the people underneath him don't feel confident enough to stop that, the person at the top is the one that set the culture. So the person at the top has to take the biggest, I mean, it's it's the biggest ax. You get the biggest paycheck, you got the biggest ax. So whether he knew about it and condoned it or didn't know about it, those are both bad situations to have happen because the only thing that we have to work with is the complainant side of that. And again, if that's true, justified. If not, the Northwestern just screwed the PR so bad that they didn't have any other choice. Yeah, and I I think, you know, again, like where you, you talk about that gray line, that's the perspective, you know, like the gray line between guys being dudes and being and doing weird stuff you know, doing things that are problematic. That is where it becomes like that matter of perspective. And that's why I say like a lot of times, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that everything be okay today if Northwestern had released this report by any means. But man, at least from a Northwestern perspective, you can sit there and feel like you got out ahead of something, you know. But I think there needs to be, there is a conversation here to be had of, and it's been had how many different times, whether or not they know feels immaterial that doesn't feel like a winning argument anymore in college sports well I didn't know it was happening Pat you're paid how many how many x millions of dollars to know everything that's going on in your program or should he know like or empower your the people underneath you to make that decision you're the CEO of the company yeah I mean granted the athletic director is ultimately the one that's could hire or fire you but 
you're head of the football program. You are the CEO of that football program. If some shady stuff is going on at a, at a company, it is the organization's job to root out that shady stuff. It is the CEO's job to set the culture with that company to empower people to root out that shady stuff. Cause there's no way there's 24 hours in a day. Even every, the, the most powerful business person on the planet still only has 24 hours in the day. You got to sleep for some of them. So you can't know everything, but you have to be able to empower your, your, the culture that mm-hmm. you've ex- built in your program to know that. So yeah, whether or not you knew it's the, the culture's the problem. Yeah. And it, and when you, what you detail where it's something that can escalate from generation to generation. Pat Fitzgerald been the head coach there for 17 years, you know, like, and he's a player in, there in seventeen in 17 years. There was never once a moment where it was like, someone came to you and it was like, Hey, this might be bad. Or you didn't hear anything once about that. Like, that's what I just find really hard to believe. You know, that's where I would walk away. I walk away from this. And, and after reading some of those stories, you sit there and you're like, man, it's really hard to imagine a world where he keeps his job. Because mm-hmm. it just is, it, it's really hard to plead ignorance when you make that kind of money, when you're in that kind of position and say that you just, do, you just didn't know, you know, and to be able to get away with it and have nothing happen to you. It just is really hard. I, I, I just, I think for any coach out there right now, like that's not a winning argument. You better have a better excuse than that. If that's what you're going to come up with, if something like this is happening in your program. Yeah. And I, I mean, you, if you feel a little bad for the situation to have happened the way it did, because the 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 expectation was two weeks i have served my penalty i or i'm about to serve my penalty something went wrong and and let's let's operate under the fact that he didn't know what was going on and there was someone some people in between there kind of buffering and no one ever complained uh you know whatever i don't know and if the situation exists where he thought that that was what the penalty was going to be and you sort of wrap your mind around that with the university that you've dedicated everything to and then all of a sudden public shitstorm happens and you go, I don't have a job anymore. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you feel a little bit bad, but at the same time in the bigger picture, it's how do you, if you are, if you're, if you're Northwestern, how do you have him as a coach with that story out there and send him into a recruits living room to say, you should come to Northwestern. Yeah. How? Yeah. And if you're a parent, it's Northwest. It's a great Northwestern's one of them. I mean, it's one of those places that like I never got recruited by Northwestern, but let's say had I gotten a scholarship from Northwestern, I would have gone there. It's an amazing academic institution. And you have to be able to have a respectable a person with when you have those sharp kids that are going to be going to Northwestern, you got to have someone, you know, convince the parents that it's okay to let their kid go to Northwestern. Mm-hmm. He's going to get a job again. For sure. I mean, he's only 48 years old. And at the end of the day, too, like, don't get me wrong. This is bad. It was bad enough to cost him his job. This is something that when you go to another school, you can say, this isn't going to ever happen again under my watch. If he owns up to the fact that it was wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that's the one key here is that if whether he knew or not, you got to own up to the fact that whatever was going on was not good. And you got to make clear to whatever team you're going to lead next. Hey, we're not doing this, you know. I would hope that he learned his lesson at yeah. this point. What's funny about this, and, and I don't mean funny, haha. There's uh, a, remember, it was like a few, I think it was when I was in college, like right out of college. So like somewhere in the 2011 to 15 range, there was a, a missile crisis that happened in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where they, where they hit the button on they accident. They hit the button on accident. Yeah. But that button 
required like five steps in yeah. order to have that happen. Then they fired the guy who pressed the button. Who knows the steps better than that guy? Yeah. He's the only one. He's the one that knows best what happens. So why fire that guy? Why? I mean, and maybe he's like, he chose to do it, in which case, yeah, fire him. But like, if it was an accident, he's the, he's the guy that's going to know best how to not do that accident again. So like, not funny, haha. If this is a situation where he didn't know what was going on and he truly was oblivious to it or thought that it was less than what was being described or whatever at the next job, probably going to have a higher level of scrutiny and uh, respect required of those situations. So yeah, he'll get a job again. And I would imagine it would be a safer environment unless he's an absolute just sociopath of a person, which I don't think Pat Fitzgerald is. How good is that, John? It'll take, it'll be like uh, middle Tennessee state for. No, no, no. I'm at Northwestern. Oh, how good is that job? Uh, I think it has potential to be a good job because of the academics that you can get. You can still find, you know, a four star an an Andrew Luck style athlete. Now that is really interested in academics, but is also a stud athlete and say, come play in Northwestern. You're going to be in the big 10. We got all the resources in the world. You're in Chicago. You're going to be connected to a bunch of different people when you graduate, whether or not you make it to the league. It can be a good job. It, Northwestern has the potential to be a good program. I, I mean, I don't know if it is now. Like right, right now might not be the greatest job, but it's it's got the potential to be a pretty damn good job. All right, last thing before we sign off here today, Big 12 Media Days coming up next over the next two days uh, down in Dallas. Uh, Brett Yormark going to speak first tomorrow afternoon, Wednesday, uh, and then Iowa State will go on Thursday. What are some things... What are you maybe wondering about? What are you wondering about going into media days? I want to hear what your Mark's going to say. Yeah. that's the To me, that's the biggest thing. It, it feels like the Big 12 players-wise is sort of lacking a bit of star power mm-hmm. relative to what they've had in the past. You know, there's no Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray or uh, whatever. Yeah. But they... So it's not like the, there's like any players that you're like really interested in hearing from. Like, Brett Yormark has been causing all the waves. He is every move and shake. And so at various Big 12 media days, there's been, you know, here or there, it's been, we're going to be announcing this is, we're joining this conference or this team is moving here. We're going to be doing this thing and they'll save some big news for the Big 12 media days. I'm interested to see if there's any big news in Big 12 media days because a lot of the realignment talk has sort of changed, but we haven't heard anything about it. Well, if there's a time to announce something that's happening, that would be now. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's, I'm interested in what he's going to say the most above anything. And anything after that's like, yeah, take or leave it. And he, you know, he's not going to say anything directly, but he's very good at hinting at things, you know, like he'll, he will, he'll speak his mind a little bit, like in do it in a indirectly direct way, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Hey, big changes coming out West or something like that. Or yeah. Or yeah. We're, we're dedicated to sticking at 14 schools with no other information involved, you mm-hmm. know, where he's like, yeah, I think we would like to be with 14. Like that's that right there is a headline, yeah. you know? And it's like, but he's not really saying anybody in particular. He's not saying it. like, that's the kind of stuff that I think could come out of this. And I'm just, I think that he's just an interesting person to listen to because he is a disruptor in the college athletic space. He's just different from what a lot of the guys that we've listened to in the past. He's not that like, he, I mean, you know, he's an older gentleman. Uh, but he's not a stuffy old guy. Yeah. You know, not a stuffy old academic or something. Yeah. Like he's that. not Bob Bowlesby. Yeah. No offense to Bob Bowlesby. Bob Bowlesby seemed like a great guy. 
but he just was a stuffy old yeah stuffy old academic like that's just what he was yeah so i i might watch the yormark press conference live uh because that's the really the only thing big 12 media days that that i think would be interesting because big 12 media days it was cool when i went down there like it's the only time i've ever fan i've had two fanboy moments in my lifetime uh fanboy being determined when you walk up and you're like I don't know what I'm going to say, but I just have to take this opportunity to say hi to this person. And it'd be like, I, my name is Steve, you know, like just some stupid thing, but just so like that fanboying moment, it was with two times in my life. One was Eddie George. Okay. He was working with, for Fox at the time. And he was walking through the hallway and I was like, freaking Eddie George. I have to go shake his hand. And I was like, hi, uh, my name is Jeff. I I play running back two at Iowa state. (laughs) I was like, Cool, man. Good luck this season. Thanks. <laughs> just walked out. It's like, screw that one up. Good job, Jeff. And then the other time wasn't at Big 12 Media Days. The other time was when we were at the ESPYs and I shook Jim Brown's hand. Oh, yes. And now I don't even remember what I said. I blacked out for that one. I think it was just like, hi, Mr. Brown. I, it's an honor to shake your hand. And then like that, something like that. And then, but you know, just shitting yourself while you did it. But at Big 12 Media Days, I got to meet Eddie George, Tim Brown, um, you know, like all the people that work for the the networks that are there to cover it. It's a cool experience to be there. Yeah. But for a fan on the outside, there's nothing that comes from it. Everybody's going to win the conference. Every team is going to win the conference. They're looking forward to the success they're going to have in the year. They got high expectations and they've been working hard and the offensive line is good. Yeah. Every, every single team. Uh, that sounds a lot like when I met Reggie Miller. Yeah, uh, you don't know what to say. You just, and the, the funny thing is like, me and Reggie are either probably pretty close to the same height or like I'm a little bit taller than him. I swear to God, the man seemed like he was 10 feet tall. Yeah. I, w- Eddie George, I was like, Eddie George is six, four. And I thought he was nine foot eight. And I went up to him and I was like, Hey, Hey, Mr. Miller, can, can I talk to you please for just a couple seconds? You know, I was like 21 or something at the sweet 16 in Chicago. And he's like, Oh yeah, kid, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you later. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just, I, but I did shake his hand and I was like, you know what? I just shook Reggie Miller's hand. And that's a, that hand has made a lot of baskets. Made a lot of, that, that hand is, has uh shit talk spike. That, that hit, that hand has been part of the most famous trash talk in the history of sports. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. So, uh, that fanboy moment happened at big 12 media days. I, I think I'm much less likely to do that now. It would take like, I mean, there's there. If it was Peyton Manning. Yeah. If I say, if I met Peyton Manning or someone like Tom well, Brady, then maybe I would fanboy. But at this point, after having met enough people over time, it's less dramatic, but Eddie, it was Eddie George. The first time I had a true foot in my mouth, not knowing what words to come out of my mouth moment. LeBron James and Shaquille O'Neal. Those are the two people that I think I could meet that I would have no idea what to say. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, I mean it. I, I, I imagine that they put off an aura that basically it's like, uh, you know how they have the things that can like block cell phone coverage. Mm-hmm. They put off an aura that basically com- blocks your brain from thinking. You're like, all you can think about, it, oh my God, this is Shaquille O'Neal. I think, know? I feel like LeBron, I, I could, if I saw him and had a moment to like shake his hand, it'd be like, I feel like I could say something like, hey, I, you know, really respect the way you're, you're, you, you handle your business both on the court and just investments. I, you know, have a great day. Like, I feel like I could do that. Shaq though, he's a, a mountain of a human, an absolute mountain of a human. And also like, and anytime you're around him, there's the fear that he's going to dunk on you. That exists, <laughs> just, you know, someone, all you've ever seen him do is dunk on people. Break rims. Yeah. Like the fear exists. It's like, we could be in, we could be in the middle of Walmart or something. You're like Shaquille O'Neal's about to dunk on me right now. 
please don't, Mr. O'Neill. The train is please coming don't. down the tracks, you know. Uh, yeah, I, those are the only two people I think that I would be. Are you, are you excited? I mean, this is your first big media, football media days. Are you excited for anything? I am excited. Uh, you know, just excited generally to talk to Matt Campbell, hear how the summer has been going and things like that, man. It just is it. And I've said this a lot of times. I think we've said this before on this podcast The you know, we're not going to learn anything new about the gambling thing, but it just makes it really hard to know what to think of this team right now. You know? Yeah. A total side note though, while I was in, Switzerland, and I did read that the NCAA updated their gambling they penalties did. retroactive to the time period that they would be investigated by the university, and that it's substantially it's clearer and it's less steep. Uh, so it's, I think the I, I I don't know the exact tiers, but it's something to the effect of if it was if there if it was, was two hundred dollars or less, it's like half and, a game or and something. and wagered on not your sport. If yeah. it's wagered on your sport or a, a game you're participating in, then it's like a full year or something like that. But if it's wagered on a not a sport that you're not participating in and it's less than two hundred bucks, then yeah, it's a slap on the wrist more or less. And if it's uh, over from like two hundred or more than four hundred dollars or something like that, then it's like two games or something. Yeah. But they've substantially lessened them and made them substantially clearer as to what the penalties would be. So I think that is at least some hope that likely not all four, five, 10 of the people that are Mm -hmm. in there are going to have, like you're going to have two or three that get the slap on the wrist minimum. Yeah. You know, not all of them are going to be like, yeah, 20 bucks on Iowa state to win this Saturday. Yeah. So I, to me, it makes it a slightly less, ominous cloud yeah but there's still some cloud and we just know it's a young football team you know like just generally it's going to be a pretty young team inexperienced team which makes it that makes it fun because i feel like every time we talk to coach we're going to learn some new names Mm -hmm. some new guys that are going to stand out you know but i i'd like to you know i just want to hear you know how'd the summer go for rocco becht and jj cole you know in hunter deckers and and cartavius norton like and some of those guys that are are younger that are in the program that are are upcomers, you know, coming into uh, kind of coming into their own uh, defensive line. Uh, I'm interested to hear about those guys. Can you ask about Malik Verdun? I can, because I think he is to me. He's like the like low key. If he has a season that he is capable of having, he might be him and TJ might be the the best NFL prospects on the team. I'll ask uh, Bo Freeler and TJ Tampa about him. They'll be there too. Cool. I'm sure that they would know a lot about Malik. He's another guy. That's just He's six. I mean, every bit of six three. Yeah, it's wild. Plays safety. He flies around. He likes to hit people. Yes, he does. Just keep yourself safe. Keep yourself safe. Keep everybody else. Keep themselves safe. We'll uh, we'll talk to you guys again next week. Thanks, Jeff. No, thank you, Jared. Thank you. Peace.